I'll be too nervous to. I'll probably lost the words. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Lost Words DraftKings podcast. Uh, I change that introduction every time, by the way. Sometimes it's DraftKings, sometimes it's DFS. Uh, but the one thing that is consistent is I introduced Matt Vincenzi. So, Matt, hello. Hey, Tom. What a week last week, huh? It was great. I mean, it was uh, it was what we needed. Uh, we, you know, we wanted the major winner. Uh, we got it. And, uh, you know, as I just said to you before we come on, I'm, I'm glad you put me on Cam Smith because he... Wasn't necessarily on my radar before the conversation we had on, uh, you know, Sunday last week. So it was it was good to put that into practice. And I've got to be honest, I didn't think he was going to win. Like when it came to Sunday morning our time and Sunday afternoon our time and Sunday night our time, like until that kind of bat nine, it really didn't feel like he could win. It just felt like Rory was kind of in control without doing anything on the front nine like it just looked like he just needed a bit more putt luck and he wasn't getting it and then all of a sudden it goes from he needs a bit more putt luck to okay you can't make a putt and he just run out like 11 to 18 no birdies but like, that's just not good enough right yeah i mean first of all i thought the tournament was great on three three fronts one the outright um has been my best outright year but two out of the four majors i'll take that anytime um, and then DFS made a, a, a big run in the single entry. I think I played 11 lineups and I cashed in all 11 and I was near, not all the way close to the top, but I, you know, I at least doubled my money in all of them. And then I had that nice run in the 33 single. So I was really happy with that. And then from a golf perspective, I just thought it was one of the most memorable majors that we've had. I thought it was unbelievable. And, you know, I know, um, I've listened to you a couple of times already this week, um, with Sky and then your show last night. So I've heard you talk about, you don't really want to get on Rory too much, but I do. I do want to get at him because nobody else wants to. Uh, nobody else wants to because he's the golden boy. He's untouchable. And I, th- I see a lot of people saying, you know, Cam Smith won it. Roy didn't lose it. But I don't think it has to be one or the other. It can be both, right? Yeah. He opened the door and let Cam go and win it. And Cam did go and win it. But there's no reason why Rory couldn't have shot a 67 or a 68. And he shot a 70. And the, the course was ripe for the taking. It's not like it played hard in the afternoon. Like the, the group behind him, they shot, shot a 65 and a 64. So it's not like... You know, it was playing that hard, and he doesn't have that killer mentality, and it's it's the reason why he he hasn't won a major in eight years. Yeah, and I think I think the reason I say I don't want to dog on him too much is because I'm just known to dog on him a lot, and <laughs> I'm trying to withdraw on it a little bit. But like, it's absolutely right. Like, yes, Cam did have to step up and take the opportunity, and he did, and and I'm glad it was him because financially that was good for us. But like, he should just never have had a chance. Like. He just should not have had the opportunity. Like they said all day long, like the commentary was brilliant on Sky Sports, which is not something we we normally say too often over here. But like they said from the minute like anyone was teeing off on Sunday, like 20 under is going to win. I don't think anyone other than Rory McIlroy or Victor Hovland could really win it, but they'd have to shoot a 64 to give themselves a chance. And it can only really be Cam, DJ, etc. So all Rory had to do was shoot four under. And... I know that it's a final round of a major. I know it's a final round of the Open Championship, but like, it wasn't an Open Championship for one. It was pitch and putt, which we kind of knew it was going to be. Like, we knew it was going to get low scoring. We knew it was wide open fairways. We knew it could be driver wedge at most times. I just think like everyone's saying that he didn't really make any mistakes. Well, no, I get that and I understand that, but that's not good enough 
in that atmosphere and and is is not making a birdie between 11 and 18 that's the mistake right like that is a mistake in itself so um i know that he didn't make a birdie on 18 because he was going for the eagle and got it wrong so that's fine you take that one out but like there's a par five on the back nine he should have he should have birdied there's multiple par fours that he should have birdied he should have hold one of the ones uh, on the front nine he should have birdied 17 like you can't give up all these opportunities in because like really and truly like everyone's feel like it's been eight years since he's won a major and like and it has obviously that's that's factual but like this felt like the only real time he had a chance to really like it was his like it was his to, to lose and i just thought that like the way he played in the front nine looked really good and i thought okay he's just going to roll something in the back nine he's going to win this it's going to be pretty routine there's going to be a bit of a non-event a bit like the masters with scotty maybe and like he just didn't do that and i was like if he did that I think his his career completely changes path. I think he's into another second part of the career where he does what he did from 2011 to 2014, where he just wrecks off four or five majors very quickly. Um, because because people easy to forget. Like yes, he's won four majors, but he won them in such a short space of time that like he had no scar tissue. Like, he didn't know what losing one was like. I know he obviously lost the Masters and that was his first kind of opportunity, but like. Very quickly after that, just kind of put that to rights. Like, I know he shot a 63 at St. Andrews in 2010 and shot an 80, but he bounced back very well from that. Like, he very quickly learned how to win them, and he won them by, like, eight strokes, five strokes, whatever. And then he started winning them by, like, one or two strokes at the Open of the PGA in 2014. And it's like, okay, so now he's learning how to win them in a more like, tougher atmosphere. Then he just goes eight years without even having a chance, and that suddenly leaves you to find it tough right and that's why he was struggling to even get in contention so if he had just flipped the script and just won it quite easily on sunday i feel like that would have just given him the boost to go right i can just i've learned how to put myself back into position again and i can win easily on a sunday but now he's not done that like and this is this is gonna be a whole other podcast and maybe me and you do this at some point like literally just Roy mcroy for an hour and a half of like his career like i don't know what it means like i know he's got a lot of off the course things going on so that doesn't help he's then got all this added expectation like they were saying it stayed like or like this week like when tiger looked like he was going to retire or he was giving his wave over the bridge and it was like oh rory's stepping up now this is a guy that yes he's a prolific winner but he still won a quarter of, the, of tiger's events and you know not won the majors that tiger's won so i don't know how you can really compare the two yeah it i think it was the most monumental major loss in recent memory i know a lot of people argue with that and let me explain it wasn't the biggest collapse because that's what people took it as when I said that. It, yeah. it wasn't. It wasn't a collapse. It was the most monumental loss because he needed to win. It. He needed to win. He was in position to win. I said Saturday night when I was upset about Cam Smith's round. I said if Rory finds a way to lose this, it's going to be absolutely devastating because he has no resistance. I never once thought Hovland was winning. I don't think many other people did either. No. Um, he, he, you know, he's getting lucky, and he just hasn't been playing well leading up to it. So it was Rory's to win. It was basically a four-shot lead. If he loses that, then it's going to be devastating. And everyone said, oh, you see him after the after the round. And this was on Monday. Everyone said after the round, he seemed fine. He'll bounce back, whatever. And then I said, yeah, see what happens when he gets home and he turns the light off and he goes to sleep and he puts his head on his pillow. He's not going to feel okay about it. It's going to be absolutely devastating. And then it came out later that he, um, you know, cried in his wife's arms or something on the in the car. Yeah. on the So, like, which... I mean, it's devastating. It's going to have a, an impact. It's going to take its toll. And he's a he's been an underachiever. So that's just a fact. But I think as well, I think the thing that like if he loses one to Victor Hovland, who is in the same group and could have easily 
shot the four under that was you know needed and Rory shoots three under and you know Victor Eagles last to Rory's birdie that's a different story right but like he just like he didn't and maybe the only thing I can give him is like was it Victor struggling so much that he just couldn't get going but I think that what separates the elite from those that are good is they don't need anything else to happen to make it happen like he should have been able to drag himself through that ignore what Victor was doing and that was what looked like he was doing on the front line he just didn't make the putts um but yeah, I agree. I think I, I'm trying to think of like recent losses in majors as to whether it's the biggest, but it's it's tough because it felt like it meant so much. Like it felt like, like I just said, it was going to change the whole landscape of what he views his career as. Like I think if he had won yesterday or two days ago now, that he would have won five more or six more, and all of a sudden you've got a ten or eleven major career, and that's amazing. Uh, if he gets stuck on four i mean look some people will like give their like kidney to be on four major wins right but like it's just because it's how good he is like he's so good at golf like and i think because he's so good he's a bit lax and and probably doesn't try as hard and you know you look at someone like a, a matthew fitzpatrick who i've been critical of in the past but like he's clearly worked his socks off to get the position he's got to this year to really improve and win that major championship and I feel like Rory, if he dedicated himself that way, could probably just win one just at ease. Uh, so I feel like that could be coming next year, but there just seems to be too many distractions. So I think it's more important to stick it to Greg Norman than it was to uh, than it was to win the Open for him sometimes, and that's not the right attitude. And, and on that note, I mean, again, we get some criticism for the live stuff, but like everyone was kind of saying that people don't care, and then all of a sudden we've got, you know... Victor Hovland, who's rumoured to be going to live. Tommy Fleetwood, who's rumoured to go to live, both up in the top four. We've got Dustin Johnson, who is in live, tied sixth. We've got Bryson DeChambeau, tied eighth. And so tied 11th, all at live as well. Like, let's stop saying they don't care. Yes, they might care about something more. They might care about money more. That's, you know, that's unquestionable. That, that's, the, that's the decision they made. But, like, to say they just stop caring seems a little bit too much. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean... I'll... You can make the argument for a couple guys. Does Sergio care that much? He's one I'll give you on. But Bryson cares. Bryson still plans on. He didn't give up his PGA Tour card. He plans on still playing, and he's going to win majors. Um, he's going to win majors again. Dustin Johnson still cares. He was in it for most of it. Dustin, you know, he played great. You know, what's funny, too, is um, I, I tweeted uh, before the tournament started. I said, if Bryson was healthy and in form, he would tear this place apart. Yeah. And someone someone replied to me and said, you just don't understand the complexity of St. Andrews if you think that because it couldn't be farther from the truth. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's true. If you yeah. look at it, look, look at what he did in terrible form um, and still recovering from an injury. I, and if he's, you know, in his prime, in form, he he does. So, uh, well, I mean, you know, we, so I think, we had that conversation right on Sunday. Like, he's worth playing because, and it's a volatile thing, but he two years ago he was, you know, slated to basically break St. Andrews and, and he can. Um and he, you know, he did for quite a lot of it. Like he was, I think, with DJ and with Bryson, Bryson's was more injury based because DJ could have played more earlier in the season. But like you saw some competitive rust from both of them, like the four rounds, and it wasn't the fourth round they played the worst or anything like that. But like it did kind of show that they're not playing as much golf. So I do think there is a hindrance to it. But I think you know that's out of their control. They'd probably still rather play more events if they could. I know. That's the criticism at the moment is they keep saying they don't want to play more golf. And I'm not going to get into that, but like it does show that they can be competitive still. And, and the, the notion that they're not going to be anymore and they're just washed up is uh, is probably put to bed, I think, with that open 
last week. So should be yep. All of that said, I think you know, like you said, a really good tournament. It was really good to see Cameron Young go for it again. Uh, Eagle on the last, and that that was the other thing that kind of I felt just looked bad on Rory. Like Cameron Young, three birdies on the on the back nine, one eagle. Like three, uh, four birdies on on the front nine. Yes, he made two costly bogeys, but like I know he's chasing and not protecting, but you shouldn't have been protecting around St Andrews. You just didn't need to. Um, so for a, two a two birdies, like I know he went bogey free, but like two birdies sucks. Like yeah, on that, that, that course was a par 67 for him. I know that's a joke that Bryson said about the Masters, but it really was. He had he had a wedge in his hand in 14 of the 18 holes for his approach shot, and he couldn't make more than two birdies. And not to mention, um, he my, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, he I, he was playing great, but it wasn't anything like incredibly spectacular. Just an easy, easy setup for him. It's just to to not be able to make more birdies, and it's a major. Sometimes you got to go out and win it. Do you, I mean, you know, is Tiger playing not to lose? That's the difference. Some people play not to lose, and some people play to win. Yeah. And bef- and before we move on, the last thing I want to say is that the Cam Smith up and down on 17 oh. was probably the best major moment I can remember. And I know it's a prisoner moment taken. I was on Cam, all, all that understood, but just the picture, the still shot of him behind the bunker it was nowhere to play the shot and he slings it around gets it as close as you can get it and the way he confidently just drilled the putt and the the broadcast was great he's oh my goodness he says when he nails the putt and that was just an awesome moment i thought it was you know one of the best yeah i think in terms of like the the one shot that made the most difference that may be up there i think tiger obviously that the turning turning of the tide on 12 at augusta in 2019 mm-hmm. is probably a big thing um but just back just one more thing on rory like first day he makes uh seven birdies one bogey uh, second day, six birdies, two bogeys. Third day, he makes five birdies, an eagle against one bogey. Like, it's clearly mental. Like, and and that's fine. Is is at like golf? Winning a major is hard. Winning any golf tournament is hard, and no one's you know immune to that. But then let's just not say that that isn't what happened. Like, let's not just say that Cam Smith won and and Rory didn't lose. He did lose, and he didn't mm-hmm. give it away. So. Um, just like you've got to say the same about Victor Hovland, he, he threw his chance away, and you know it's it's less uh, surprising with Victor and, and more understandable because he's been such a bad form. So um, all that said, three M Open, Matt. Um, you know we've, we've got this tournament now, which feels a bit anticlimactic after the <laughs> uh, the major that we just discussed, and you know even just the 15 minutes we've been discussing it there shows kind of how uh, how much we enjoyed it, and there's plenty to take away from that, and maybe at some point. Uh, when it's not 400 degrees, we'll have another conversation about that. But uh, hottest day on record in the UK today, by the way, for people that are listening uh, in America. So uh, Matt is seeing me currently struggle because I've not been able to have a fan on because uh, of all you listeners trying to listen in, I don't want to ruin your listening experience. So uh, the guy that hates my cough, I'm not coughing anymore, so I won't have a fan even. I'll just die. It's fine. (laughs) Um, Not very often, Matt, that we can see all the guys between nine and... Ten and a half k this week is the biggest price in what seven golfers. Yep. So this is going to be pretty easy to kind of round up this top uh, top of the board here. So Tony Finau ten five, Hideki ten three, Sung JM ten, Vigala nine eight, Hadwin nine six, Mavic Lady nine three, Davis Riley nine. Who's the guy for you that's going to win this tournament out of that lot? Uh, for me, it is uh, this guy's the guy I really think is going to win it isn't here yet, but um, I like Tagala, and you know in terms of he's in the probably the best form um you know maybe the exception of Finau but he's probably in the best form of everybody he's you know he got that battle scar from the travelers which I thought was really important um and he went to the, and you know you could 
would have expected him to kind of struggle after that. But then he goes to the John Deere and he uh, finishes 16th and he gains uh, 9.8 strokes tee to green. So, uh, you know, he bounced back really well. Um, he, In terms of ownership, he's looking like the third or fourth most here. So it's not anything incredibly debilitating. I did see Jason Sobel said there was some rumblings at St. Andrews about him having a, an injury over the weekend. I don't know how true that is, but if not, then he's the guy I'm looking at. Yeah, so it would only be injuries and concerns. Like Jason's one and done on our podcast for him winning. He wasn't actually on the podcast this week, but when he goes like that, it generally seems to be a good result for him. Um, you know, you look, right, fifth at Memorial, 53rd at Canadian Open was never going to suit him anyway. Second at Travelers, 16th for the John Deere, to your point, and 34th last week in the Open Championship. Really strong first two rounds of St. Andrews. Played it how, you know, someone of his talent should be able to. Slow start that John Deere really cost him, like open was 74, but actually shot two rounds of 65 and a final round of 68 as well. So generally speaking, just playing really good golf. Suits the golf course, I think. You know, it's there's been a mixture of like big hitters and, and streaky putters and then just, you know, strong long iron or mid, mid irons and putters. It doesn't it doesn't seem to matter too much. I think the golf the, the greens themselves are not the most complex and that's kind of what you've got to focus on. I think like it can be a bit of a putting contest, so it's a good job that John Rahm is not here. Um, I think Hadwin for me is the most likely winner, um, which seems strange because I don't think Hadwin is the winningest golfer in the world, as you know, record sells us. And you know, he, but he just looks really strong. And I know he missed the cut to John Deere, but he bounced back from an opening in 75 versus 67. He's obviously led that US Open after round one, and okay, he didn't back it up, but like he still finished seventh, which is pretty good considering he's not been in that kind of major atmosphere before. 18th at the Memorial. Then he had a little run, didn't he, between the players and the Vals- uh, Valero, where he's 9th at the players, 7th at the Valspar, 4th at the Valero. So really just positive from there. And 4th and 6th place finishes uh, in this event in two starts. And when you look at his form going into those two weeks, uh, nowhere near as good as what it is now. So I think the fact that he's playing really well, got good experience here, uh, he's going to be the guy that does it differently to your champs or your uh, Matthew Wolves previously, but he can do what Michael Thompson and Adam Long did in 2020. Yeah, all good points. Um, I struggle with him at this price and in the betting market as well. And last time we, it was the John Deere when he was the favorite and he, you know, he missed the cut. That obviously is a little bit worrisome. Um, I think he could be a safer play. I do think his floor is extremely high d- despite what he did at the John Deere. Winning is tough for me to envision. Um but yeah, I totally, I totally get get all your points there, and he's and he's probably going to be the third lowest. No one's really playing Hideki or Sungjae, but uh, after that, he's going to probably come in at the third lowest ownership. What about what what's Mac McNeely like in terms of ownership? I, I think he's playing some good stuff right now. Yeah, uh, around fifteen percent. He's kind of you know a little high, but not so nothing crazy. He was sixteenth here on debut, I think, last year, right? I think that's yep. the the figure that I've got. Um, you know, what is he, 9th, 16th and 8th his last three starts, and I know one of those was obviously the Barracuda, which is something you'd expect him to, to contend in, but 16th at the Scottish Open, 8th at the John Deal you know, very positive, he was 7th at Riviera, Riviera earlier in the season, like he's not been as consistent as maybe Maverick Manili fans would want him to be but last year, 67, 67 68 to be um, second after 54 holes last year Finish with a 73 is a bit worrying some for, um, you know, winning prospects. But I just think, again, like in terms of high floors, I think he's got one. Yeah, I think he's a high floor as well. I'm not, I'm not a huge McNeely fan. I, I never play him. I never bet him. And I'm, I'm not going to start now. But I, I totally get it. You know, there's one tournament I can remember. And I know he has a, a, a good finish at Pebble Beach. But he was in the lead at, uh, I think it was the Fortinet. 
when Homa came back and beat him. But he looked he looked very uncomfortable in contention. Uh, and I don't know if that's something that could rear its head again, but uh, that's something that stands out in my mind. Yeah, I think it will. Like, I, I, necessarily winning, I don't know, and the odds I didn't like. Like even Hadwin, I prefer over him in terms of winning prospects because he's just been there before. But like, um, you know, I, I, I just think he's a decent DFS play. I don't like Sanjay. I know he's played okay here in the past, but just doesn't seem to have it. Um, you know, we've seen with Victor Hovland last week that when the golf course suits and things are a little bit easier, you can just turn it around. And to Sanjay's credit, he shot 65 to open here on his debut and 68, 67 over the weekend. But um, I don't want to be paying 10,000 for someone that, you know, outside of the memorials looks pretty destitute. So. Um, I know you've only got to go back to the Masters for an 8th place finish, but he just seems to like that golf course, and that was also powered by a really strong one round uh, on Thursday. So um, I'm out on Sung Jim, and I don't really know what to do with Decky. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to be out. I just He's just been so inconsistent recently, and then you get the live rumors, and people are wondering if he's going to withdraw, and it looks like he's not going to, but just it, a lot of uncertainty there, and I just think, you know, it, even Finau's a couple hundred uh, more. He's going to be the highest-owned guy in this above yeah. 9K. 9k but for him too i i'm i'm probably gonna pass on every guy above 10 just because with fina like if i see he's gonna pay off his price point he has to win he hasn't really shown all that ability to win and i feel like this could be perception i don't know if it's it's the actual reality or not but i feel like he's usually plays much better when he's like in the 8500 range 8800 range like as the favorite i don't know how he's actually done no i mean statistically i don't know that information either but like when he's expected to win he doesn't when he is you know likely you know, just one of uh, in the 40, 50s, one betting range. And like you say, in the mid eights, you know, he seems to, you know, rise to the occasion in stronger fields. And even his course form here speaks to that, like 23rd and 28th, either side of a third place finish. Like, yes, he finished third and that was really good, but he was actually third after every round. So he just never advanced from that position after day one, which is interesting. You don't ever see that third, 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 third after every round, which is interesting. So never really took a step forward uh, despite the lower company. So, Davis Riley, anything on him? I, I'm very just non-committal on Davis Riley, like just in general. But I don't really see anything to say about him this week. Yeah, I'm, I'm not interested for a couple of reasons. One is just I'm not a Davis Riley guy, and it seems that he has kind of has like a cult-like following. It seems like, and I know he's been in contention and played very well, but he's it's looking like he's going to be about 25% owned, which is absolutely out of control. Um, so I'm I'm just a ownership pass, but I'd be passing probably anyway. Is that is that just because people just don't have anyone else to play? Like, yeah, to me, like, like they just have to find someone that's contended recently because, you know, it's they just don't have anyone else to trust. I think that's one of those things. Like, let's play a guy up here, and it's either Figaro or Riley is the is the names that are catching people out. And you know, I'd rather go to Figaro or those two. Yeah, it's the same, and it's the fear of missing out aspect. I think it's like I've. No one else I really like. It's the week after a major. A lot of people just want money. I'm just going to play the guy I want to see win because I don't want to miss out on the first Riley win. That's what it feels like. Same for Tagala, but I like Tagala better. Yeah, and I, I don't really care about either of them in terms of that aspect. So if if Tagala wins, great. I think he deserves it. And Riley's shown some stuff. And again, if he wins, fine. But uh, there's probably people, you know, top of the list that I you know, would care about more in terms of winning. So then we go into the 8K range then. Um, I'm not going to list everybody here. We've got a couple of Big withdrawals, Mark Hubbard, I've been very keen on for the last couple of times we've done this podcast, and Charles Howe, I was looking to see if he can carry on his bit of a revival, but both of those are now out, so that probably saves me some uh, betting money and DFS money, which is good. Um, 
It's just, it's just such a tough range because it's just such a like Adam Long kind of makes sense to me. Cameron Tringali's been posting some hot rounds recently. JT Post and the same thing. I might just play Nick Hardy here and and that be it because I can't seem to make a decision on everybody else. I know you kind of like Brendan Steele quite often and you know Cam Davis is going to be very popular. I suppose Steele would be the one out of, out of that bunch just because he's ninth, tenth, and twenty fifth his last three starts. Yeah, I am playing Cameron Davis, and I bet Cameron Davis, and he's he's very popular. Um, but he's a guy who I think is more worthy of the popularity because what he's been doing lately in the, his course fit here. You yeah. know, I think of a guy like Cam Champ and Wolf. He does a lot of the same things. Um, and plus, I like the fact that he can get really hot with the bent grass putting. It's his best surface by far. And he's kind of like a guy who's going to make a lot of birdies and really streaky. And he seems to be on a hot streak now. He was good last week. I liked him before. I even realized he was, uh, I think, sixth last week at the Barbasol and played really well. So I like him. I think he, he in plus drafting strong, he always makes birdies. Seems like he, you know, makes the eagles. And he's just kind of a, a volatile high scorer. So I, I am going to play him despite the uh, chalk. Um, and Steele, yeah, he's going to be very popular, probably over 20%. But it's because he's cheap and it's because his... His stats are just completely off the charts recently, which I don't know if he can win. I see people betting him because I don't, I don't know if I necessarily see that, but um, he does feel incredibly safe. Yeah, and like he's only got one start here on the course, and I thought that might have kept people off because he was 53rd, and when you dig deeper into it, he was ninth after round one, 11th after round two, and just had a bad Saturday, uh, which is kind of him all over. So um, I was hoping for a little bit of dip in ownership that hasn't come, so... I'd, I'm a bit like you. I'd probably just go with Cam Davis just because, like you say, it just looks like a course that he can win on. He looks like he could win again with his recent form. And I haven't bet him, and I don't know whether I'm going to. I kind of left a little bit of a space at the top to, to kind of go with someone else. I probably won't go there, but he, he seems like a good DFS play, even with a chalk. I, I think this week, like, ownership is going to be really hard to avoid because it's just a week where you just have to take the guys that are playing well. Folks. Sweaty Sack Summer is approaching and it's now time for you to prioritise the comfort of your crotch. That's why the King of Crotch Comfort, Manscaped, has spent two years designing the most comfortable boxer briefs out there. Now I've had the honour of testing out these new boxers and I can say it's the softest fabric of any underwear I've ever owned. It's so breathable that it's like gills for your groin. They even trademark the jewel pouch so you know it's serious. I think it's time for you to invest into your family jewels, so let your bulge breathe and get 20% off and free shipping by using the code LFW20 at Manscaped. Let's say you're on a date and your partner catches that Manscaped on the waistband of your underwear, it's almost a guarantee to raise some eyebrows and act like a billboard on a highway to Pleasure Town. The micro model fabric is buttery soft and breathable, keeping your cucumber cool. Walk, run or strut, these moisture wicking boxes breathe without breaking a sweat. The tagless waistband hugs your body without digging in and lays flat against your skin to reduce the chafing. And the front fly opening gives easy access and makes bath and breaks quick and efficient. You can get 20% off and free shipping with the code LFW20 at manscaped.com. And that's 20% off and free shipping with LFW20 at manscaped.com. So once the boxes 2.0 touch your sack, you will never go back. Yeah, and I think you do definitely have to get different because of how consolidated the ownership is up here. But I don't think that will be too hard. Uh, you can play these popular guys and just mix and match them with some guys who, who aren't popular at all. Um, for instance, last week, Cam Smith was very popular, but if you found different ways to kind of make your lineup a little bit unique, you were perfectly fine. Um, so, yeah, I'll eat the chalk on Davis. And I am looking at Tringali in terms of a play, depending how much extra money I have. He's not incredibly um, popular. He's around 13%, but 
he was playing well, obviously, you know, overseas. But then he, last year, I was on Cam Champ, and I remember um, through 54 holes, Tringali, I believe, was the leader, and because he was the guy who we were kind of facing with, and it looked like he was going to win. He was playing really well until he got caught in a bunker. I think he hit three or four shots out of the bunker and ended up really struggling. But so he obviously has a, really likes this course. I think he was really hot last year at this time too. So he's a guy I, I could consider, and I think he's another guy who also has a high floor. What is the ownership like on Nick Hardy? It's going to be high, uh, probably around 18%. Yeah, so I think between those two guys, I know obviously you're talking about an $800 difference, but in terms of if you want to get uh, a little bit different, I would, I'd probably go with Cameron Jagai there, like 42nd on his debut, open with a 66 and shot a third round 67. Uh, 2021, um, he shot a 63 on a Saturday, developed himself up into sixth, went step forward again with a 66 on Sunday, finished third. And then last year, to your point, he was uh, the 54-hole leader and just shot fun around 74. So I know that's kind of Cameron Trigali's career in a nutshell. Like those three finishes are probably just Cameron Trigali. But, you know, it, in terms of DFS, that's not the worst thing. So um, let's go into the 7Ks then. It's This is a minefield. I mean, there's there's one guy that everyone's going to be on in terms of Adam Svensson at 7,600. And that's very well warranted. Um, I probably will be playing him. Well, I'm definitely betting him. I'll probably play him in the first round leader market. Um, do you have to get away with him so you can take the guys at the top? Um, no, I, I'm not interested in him. He just seems way too popular for me. Guy at 7,600 is going to be around 25, 24% on, which is way too much for me. And I, um, and even in the betting, yeah, he's fine. He's fine. But has has he been in contention really with a chance to win? And I know the field so, is pretty weak. Was it Honda? Where he had a decent chance of winning, I think he was like maybe the 36 hole leader there. Um, that, that, I'm pretty sure he was, and he just dunked it in the water basically 50 times and, and ruined his life. But like, he's a horrific putter too, horrific. Yeah, I, it's just a solid play, right? Isn't it? Like someone just wants someone that's going to be consistent. He's your guy. So um, Cameron Champ, we kind of talk about that he kind of signposts something that he's going to do. Hasn't necessarily shown that in recent weeks, so I think we can probably avoid him again. Then I come to the trio of got. I mean, Wyndham Clark, I seem to try and play every week, and I'm probably going to go to him again, despite the fact he looked a little bit disappointing at the Open last week, but actually found his irons on the final day. He finished 25th in the field in irons. Um, was actually top 10 and 15 in strokes going off the tee and around the green, which I like for this week. Um, and then it's Emiliano Grillo and Dylan Fratelli. You know, those three in a row, I think, are guys that are all worth looking at. Yeah, Um you know, speaking of Fratelli, he's one of my four bets this week. I've uh, two guys at 25, him at 65, and a, another guy at 80. But um, for him, I looked at DraftKings pricing, and I was and I was happy to see him at 70, um, 600. I thought it was a really nice price, considering I think he has winning upside. And then he's looking like three and a half, four percent owned right now, which is uh, a steep discount. So you can pair Fratelli with Cam Davis, like I was going to do anyway, and then all of a sudden you're 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 fairly unique and. You know what I like about him? Um, he played well last week at the Open. And you look at last year's leaderboard, there were two uh, two out of the top three were South Africans. I don't know if that means anything, but uh, it, it definitely could. Um, and he's just the type of guy who is like, he can get a hot putter and just randomly spike. Like, he's those putting spike weeks where he, you know, gains seven or eight strokes putting. And then he has the power to kind of to do the things that, you know, Cam Champ did. So I think he's like a high winning upside um, high high ceiling type play. Yeah, I think he's he's. We always speak about him, right? Fratelli, he's like that volatile guy that you can never really hang your hat on because he's just so he is so volatile. And 
you know, when you're someone that's powered by your driver, that is often the case. Like, but he's made three cuts in a row. Um, he's made what? It's like seven of his last eight, maybe even better than that. Like, he's he's actually been really consistent uh, in terms of making cuts. It's, it's way more than that. Actually, I'm doing him a disservice there. I just can't be bothered to count. But like, he he's he's making a lot of cuts recently. So. Um, yeah, I, I like Fratelli, and like you say, he has got the upside to win, I think. Uh, and then you've got Grillo. I mean, I was guessing Grillo's going to be a little bit more popular this week. Yeah, looking like 13 or 15 percent. Yeah, somewhere so in that range. I would just go with Fratelli then. I mean, I, I liked Grillo because he's got that third place finish. I thought he was going to show up at the Open last week. Didn't make the cut, but bounced back nicely. Ten shots better on Friday, and obviously, I thought he played pretty well that John Deere, despite not winning. So, uh, encouraged by Grillo, maybe more of a bet than a uh, DFS. What is the ownership like on Wyndham Clark? Um, not high. Looking like six, seven, eight percent. So I like that because when you look at his uh, course form, he was fifth here in 2019. When you know, I think it's fair to say that Wyndham Clark wasn't the player that he is now. I know that he's not taken this massive leap in pounds. Like he's not someone that looks definitely ready to win. But like he he's been solid recently. Like his strokes gain numbers are great off the tee, especially and you know his approach. But barring last week and one round, like it's been really good. So look at it, 35th, 16th, uh, 7th recently. Uh, before that, he was in decent form as well. And even if, so, he's, he finished fifth here on debut, where he was inside the top 10 after round one, dipped down at, into the top 25 in round two, and then shot 64 on Saturday to go in the top five and stayed there on Sunday. You look at the missed cut in 2020, and he opened with a 68 to be inside the top 30, and then just missed the cut and then the same last year like 68 to be inside the top 20 and missed the cut somehow so like there is the concern that he does that again but I just think he's playing much better than he has done over the last couple of seasons that he's been here um, and at 7500 I think he's a good price especially if you're looking for that pivot off of Adam Swenson I think Wyndham Clark and Fratelli are good options yeah and he's a typical guy who he's a he can hit a long way and he gets a hot potter just like Champ does it just like Wolf does it so he kind of fits that mold as well I'm assuming, like, I mean, Pat talks about Garrett Higo a lot, and people seem to, to like him. I'm assuming he's a guy that would probably still a little bit of ownership in this range, despite not really showing a reason why, other than we know he can do it. No, I don't know what Pat's obsession with Higo is. I really, I, I don't get it. I, I listen to it every week, and I just, I don't understand it. Just his guy, I guess. But no, he's not really popular. I think it's just kind of a, I think everyone else echo, probably realizes echo it. chamber <laughs> thing. Yeah. So yeah. it's, I mean, he, yeah, he loves him. I mean, it's, I think it's just one of those ones. I think he won, won on him at Palmetto and, and just put a lot of faith in him since then. Right. And he can spike. Like he's that guy that's always, you know, nearer the, the triple digit prizes in betting and he can get a prize on him. And when he was at the open championship last week, I did kind of look at him and think he's going to be perfect for next week. This is a good event for him. Um, shot a final round 66 and a second round 69. So if the ownership's, like low on him like it's not long ago that he was top 20 in the memorial um i do think this is actually again he's along that same lines as that player we're talking about fratelli clark wolf etc like if you're just looking for upside guys that you know can win i think i think they all come under the same sort of bubble yeah i mean well we're, we're close in this range now my pick to win is actually right right uh, beneath him mr, in, in mr. That... troy merritt yeah it's troy merritt um I haven't seen all that much about him this week, which I'm happy about. It's looking like he's 5 or 6% owned, which yep. I like. Um, and he has, um, you know, so I'm betting and playing Merritt and Fratelli, which is making me different as I need to be. Um, but really familiar with the golf course, right? He uh, moved to Minnesota when he was in high school, uh, played golf in the area in high school. He said he played this course a few times when he was in high school. Um, went to went to the 3M Open every year, you know, with his I think with his dad to watch the, it was a tournament 
uh, it was a senior event then. Um, so he, he's very familiar with the course. He has like 15 or 20 family members here. And then, um, a quote, he said he, he spent plenty of years playing these style of golf courses and he wants to use that, uh, to an advantage over the weekend. He said that in 2021, he was a co-first round leader here with, with Fowler and, uh, Vegas. So I like that. Um, and he finished seventh here in 2019. So he's played really well on this course. And then at the Scottish open, he finished 30th and he gained seven and a half strokes on approach. Yeah. So, so, and, and when he, sh- when he f- was the first round leader here last year, he's coming off back to back miscuts. So I don't know how important form necessarily is. So I like a lot about him. Yeah. I gave Merritt a glance a couple of times. And one of them was when I'm looking at the first round leader stuff, which obviously comes out in the next couple of hours when I wrap up this, but like he will be on that list of candidates because he can just get so hot. Like I, I expect him to, we, I think we've maybe spoke about him at Scottish, like cause he's played well in that in the past. Like he's, he's had those two weeks over at Scotland Island, which you know, it was weird because he wasn't in the open championship. So it was weird that he played the Irish and the Scottish. Um, I can see obviously why it's played Scottish because it was a, it was a PGA tour event that week, but like interesting move there. So how he comes back, I guess he's had a week to acclimatize, which is great. He's coming back to familiar surroundings and, you know, we've spoken about Mary on and off probably all year because it looked like that little patch between the Valspar and the Heritage, like 27th, 4th and 12th, where he looked like he could, you know, get a win eventually, you know, and that is the, the obvious knock on Troy Merritt is what is his winning upside, but I guess we'll find out this week. I mean, if there's yeah, going to be a course that's going to happen on, then this is probably one of them. Yeah, he's won twice in, um, on tour, and then this in this field, it's like, you know, he almost won the Rocket Mortgage last year, and I, when I had two two out of the three guys in the playoff, I had Merritt at 100-1 to one and Neiman at 28-1, to one and Cam Davis ended up winning, which of is course. horrible. But but Merritt, you know, he's close to the air this time of year, this area of the country, um, and I thought 80 to one, you know, I know this isn't a betting show, but I love that betting number considering, you know, I've seen him at like 45, 50 in some fields over the past few months in fields that were, uh, much better than this. So, uh, you know, is he, is he going to win a, a big event with great players in it? No, but can he win this? Absolutely. Well, that's the thing. You just look at his career. Like he's won the quick and loans, which actually was a decent event back then, I think in 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, did he beat like Justin Rose that week? No, it was just Ricky Fowler and Justin Thomas. Yeah, well, Justin Rose was there as well. So maybe Justin Rose had the 54-hole lead. But there was decent guys there, like Fowler, Lingworth, Thomas, Lee, Rose. Um, so that was a decent event at the time. Uh, and then the other win was the Barbasol. And you think, well, that's basically the same kind of field that we're seeing this week, right? Um, two runner-up finishes of Barracuda, third in the Heritage. And it's funny you mentioned the Rocket Mortgage because I was so ready to say that this is where Cam Davis won because I kind of just put this in the same event and that it obviously isn't. But like, I just think of it as the same golf course and the same event and it's nothing the same. But like, well, it was the week after the Open, maybe that was why, right? Maybe I just I just re- I just remember for some reason the Rocket. I just paired the two together. I think they're just like these low quality fields where people can just break through. Uh, where bombers play well too. Yeah, I think I just just couple it in that way. Um, Michael Thompson's obviously won here in the past and finished ninth last week at the Barracuda, shot a third round 62. Don't think you can pin too much on him, but uh, maybe if you just want to get a play in there, you can do. The other guys, Ju Young Kim was a late entrant. I think it's going to be decently popular because people have seen what he's done recently. So um, if you want to play him, fine. I, I can certainly see the case, but I'm guessing the ownership was going to be quite high. Do we... What do you make of Doug Gim? I was having this conversation on the Bessing Show yesterday. Like, does he seem underwhelming based on his potential? 
but is his potential just always been set higher than he can actually ever achieve? Like, is he actually just a guy? And if he gets a win, like, I just think of him as the same as like a Harold Varner or something like that. Like, just that kind of he can sneakily play some good golf, has a couple of courses. Like, I think Harold has the Riviera and Doug Gim has the players are like just high level fields where they play well. And it's just like, you know, why expect too much? Because it seems to be that like every time he gets in contention, the players are like, oh, you know, this is something that's going to come from this guy. He's got a, a lot of talent. And it's like, well, yeah, they're all talented. They're all on the PGA Tour. So um, maybe they blow out of proportion how good he is. But I certainly think he's talented enough to win this sort of event. Yeah. I mean, to answer your first question, he's definitely just a guy. Yeah. <laughs> and, and But he but he definitely can. I mean, if you look at the way Michael Thompson did it, he gained eight and a half strokes on approach. Yeah. That's what, that's what Doug Gim can do. Um, I was looking at him. I actually have a hundred to one available that I was thinking about. Um, maybe putting a little sprinkle on, but he's looking like seven and a half percent. I think it's a good play. I still don't know if I believe in his ability to win, but I think he's definitely a solid play, especially at this price and this ownership. I think it's just always one of those things. Like he was the top ranked amateur, wasn't he? At one point Yeah. Uh, in his career. And as soon as that happens, it's like, Oh, you know, this guy is destined for, you know, future success. And it's like, well, amateur golf and professional golf are just different things. Right. And I know he played in a World cup team and I won, uh, I know he's low amateur at the Masters in 2018, but like, let's just focus on the here and now. And the here and now suggests that he's a good golfer, a solid golfer that can pop at times. And I think that's good. I think that's a good thing. I, I, I quite like Doug Gim. I think he's someone that could go well this week at 7,300. Then I think it gets kind of thin. Like I thought Grayson Sig has shown some stuff in recent weeks. Um, and then I don't really have too much in the 7K range. Maybe Callum Taran and Michael Glickich. Yeah, I'm looking a bit at um, another former highly ranked amateur, Bo Hostler, who mm. um, I think, you know, he can show up in these type of events. He's not going to be incredibly high owned, looking like three or four percent. And he's kind of, I think, a fair price. And he's a guy who seems to get in contention, you know, when he does play well. It's not just kind of middling finishes. So don't mind him. Um, and yeah, the other guys you, you mentioned, I think, um, where's Taron? I think Taron's 7K flat and Glickich is the same. Yeah, I've heard um, Taron's name quite a bit, um, and it's looking like yeah, not not incredibly popular, but it's probably yeah, a little he, bit too. He he's just solid. Like I don't I don't see a, a winning upside for him, and I actually think maybe Glickich has got a little bit more upside than him, which seems like a weird thing to say. But I've actually got Glickich right down as my first round leader uh, target this week, so certainly expect him to get off to a, a decent start if nothing else. So. Um, I kind of thought they were two guys worth mentioning, but not focusing too much on me. Gligic is two for two for made cuts here. Um, actually, his debut opened for 72 and followed up with 68, 68, 65. Um, and then last year, 69 and 68 bookend results. So just some decent rounds here on the golf course. Yeah. 6K then, this is where we're, you know, this is what everyone kind of listens for because they, they want these different people. Uh, I'm assuming Cole Hammer is going to be somewhat going to spike at some point in the ownership because that's all I've heard recently is Cole Hammer and I understand it you know we're all looking for the next Gosser up and Thigala and all that sort of stuff um, and he's certainly a guy that can fit that bill I guess this is another one where I've probably got it wrong I guess this is a rocket mortgage is that where Davis Thompson broke through at the rocket mortgage where he shot out 63 to start and then I think so. Yeah, so it's, I just keep getting the wrong golf course, but I, do, I think it, I think he uh, he's been playing well on the corn very recently. Cole Hammer's been playing well on the corn very recently, so the parallels are pretty good there. I've got one player at the complete opposite end of the spectrum in terms of the six K range, but what do you like at the top of the six K range? Um, not much, and believe it or not, I I don't know if this is actually going to come to fruition. But Hammer isn't popular at the time. I think it might just be kind of like in our in our little community that he is, yeah. and. Um, 
in the grand scheme of things, he's not popular. So he, he doesn't look popular as of now. Although I'm, I know he's been playing well on the Corn Ferry, but I'm, I have a hard time trusting him because he's really never made a cut on the PGA Tour for the most part. Yeah, it's weird um, though because he's like been, he's a guy that's been highly potential for like 25 years because he played the uh, the US Open when he was like 10. So, yeah. um, you know, it's it's that's a slight exaggeration, but I think he was only like 14, 15. So, um, I think past like experience is probably easy to ignore and the fact that he's 37th and 7th recently in the corn fairy is probably uh better things to go by i think at the kind of near at the top i thought scott kachuski was a decent guy like finished fifth last week at the barracuda um we know he's a guy that can just get hot with his irons and maybe find a putting stroke on on the easier surface i don't trust him because it's scott kachuski and i don't really i can pick him out of a lineup but like 6700 if i had to play someone he'd be someone that was interested in yeah, if you could pick him on a lineup, you probably wouldn't play him because he's like a... He's, you know, he's like a really a, old, round dude, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, he yeah he seems all right. The, the guy kind of I was looking at was um, Brandon Hagee, who has that skill set you really want here. And then, you know, he's been really bad this year. But Barbasol, he gained 3.6 on approach, 2.6 off the tee, and he finished in 27th. So skill set play, um, you know, he hits it a long way. He's a similar profile to the guys who have done well here. So he's... I, I don't like much in this range because I don't think you really need to go here, especially... Um, avoiding most of the top there's so much like it's going to be balanced plays as we right like you don't you don't need to go down here and so you definitely shouldn't um if you want to try and force a couple of those top price guys in there and you want to come down to the coal hammers and the things like that and great that's absolutely fine um but i i wouldn't necessarily advise it i keep seeing like ben coles pop up in recent weeks and then that kind of interests me as someone had a bit of high upside richie warensky is terrible form right now but I think he made the cut last week at the Barracuda and led here after round one in 2019, maybe 2020. Um, but my guy, who I joked on the betting show was going to beat Cole Hammer because everyone was, that we know was at least talking about Cole Hammer, is Aaron Badley. Like, where has the renaissance come from, Aaron Badley? I know it's been in weak fields, but back-to-back made cuts, he's been the fourth best player in the field in approach, uh, which is weird. Like, because it like you think about Aaron Badley, it's like normally short game focus, and his putters actually deserted him. So, unless the statistics I've got in front of me are wrong, like it looks like he's gained over six strokes in approach in those two starts. So, um, in addition to that, like not only has he done that, but he's actually played the golf course pretty well as well. Like, he's off the tee game's not good, which is a little bit of a concern. He'd have to do what uh, the other guys did in 2020, but like. You know, you look at his golf, like his, his form, 23rd on debut, where he opened with a 66, closed with a 64. Um, and then last year, he had middling rounds of 68 and 67 and just closed with a 74 to fall outside the top 30. Like, if I can pick a guy to finish in the top 30, top 25, I think Aaron Padley is a good uh, good candidate for that. Yeah, I, I wasn't really thinking of him, but now that you say it, looking at his stats, yeah, I have, I have him gaining a lot um, on approach as well. I mean, they're in weak uh, field, so you have to kind of, like overlook it a little bit but like this is another weak field so i'm i'm pretty fine with him doing that and of course he's made two cuts on yeah the concern is here that he gained 7.2 strokes in approach it in the horrible field barbasol and still finished in 41st so like what yeah. does he actually ha- have yeah, to do he, he can't yeah i mean he has my, to putt right well my thought my thought process was that the, the the greens here are so easy and like historically he's a good putter that like i think he can just find it for one week um and yeah. his course one here suggests that is the case at least in the first year so i'm just looking for like a top 25 from him if i if i really want to 
uh, gets up heavy, then I'll just play him. But like you said, there's not really any reason to come down here, and he would certainly be the lowest I would go. Yeah, my guy in the lower range, um, and this is a guy we actually, I think it was one of our first shows together we, we settled on, was Sung Yul No, yeah. <laughs> who at the Barbasol, he was also going to approach. He gained 5.2 strokes at the approach, and he's gained strokes putting in five consecutive, four consecutive events. Um, and he's finished 35th, 43rd, 41st in his last three. He's made three straight cuts. 35th, the Canadian was pretty good. John Deere, 43rd, was pretty good. So he looks like his game is starting to come around. Very bad off the tee, similar to Badley. So I think, but he's the type of guy who I was thinking about, you know, maybe like a top 20 type bet and maybe a DraftKings play. So the concern with both of those guys is like, if they're really bad off the tee, they're going to go into water here. But like, I guess you can probably avoid it somehow. Like they might just be so bad that they just don't even reach it. I don't know. Like, like they're just so weak off the tee. They can't even find the water. Um, Paul just Bar- aim at the water. That's what I do when I play. Yeah. You don't hit I mean, I aim at the water and just don't even reach it. I just kind of top <laughs> it. So um, I'm pretty safe. I don't, I don't go into water that often because they're, they're out of my uh, repertoire, but uh <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess like if, if you're looking for guys in a 6K, Cole Hammer is fine. I, I get the the interest, and you know, if you, I think everyone just want everyone wants to find the gosser up and, and that, don't they? Everyone wants to be on the guy that you know no one else was, and then the first person that does that, everyone just follows in on. So um, it's certainly a bit of an echo chamber effect on that. We haven't talked about Bo Hogue, who I guess is someone that's just a bit of a core specialist in terms of, well, I say core specialist. He's had two decent finishes here um, in relation to what Bo Hogue normally does, um, 12th and 16th, but he's not playing great. I mean, he's 16th in the John Deere Classic with a third round 63. Did you know he grew up at um, Merrifield Village? No, that's the only <laughs> thing I know about Bo Hogue, uh, and that's the only thing I care to know about him. So I think I'm... Um... I, I get what you're saying. I'm just, yeah, I'm not a boho guy. No, me neither am I. I think the last time we said this about boho was I tried to convince you of him and, and you laughed in my face and I think he missed the cut. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, just do the same and, and I won't play him. Um, I'll just go to the Aaron Badley thing and I'll be the only person in the world that's touting Aaron Badley to win this week. And I like it. And I like it. I mean, if, if I'm the one guy that does it and he does it, then uh, I can probably retire early. So, um, Aaron Badley to win, um, probably not going to happen. But uh, <laughs> it... I think that's probably it for the free open. I think dragging it out any further would, you know, be a disservice to ourselves as like as as people because I think there's good betting opportunities and I think there's good DraftKings like you can get different with it. Like I think what we've just done there in the kind of seven K range around Svensson is maybe what's going to differentiate us a little bit uh, with the Fratellis. With the I, don't, I think Clark's going to be a little bit more popular than maybe we think uh, at the moment, but like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like that 7K range in that area to, to get a little bit different. Um, Doug Gim is going to be really interesting. I'd, I'd like to see what he does. Like, if he's going to play well, this looks like a cause for him, um, and he should do it. So yeah, let's let's just put that 10.5K all the way down to 9K as our range, and who's your guy there? Um, it's going to be Tagala. Yeah, I'm going to go with Hadwin. I'm, I'm pretty bullish on his chances this week. Uh, the 8K range? I like Davis up top, but, I, but since it's such a kind of a um, range where we're not really playing much in the top, I'll, I'll give you a top and a bottom. I like um, Davis at 89. Yep. Um, uh, actually, I'm just kidding. He's really the only guy I like. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> where else are you going to go with that? Um, yeah, I, I wasn't in on Davis, but the more I look at it, the more I think you probably have to be. Uh, maybe Nick Hardy, I guess. I think he can bounce back from... He didn't even play badly at the John Deere. He just started poorly. I think he was like one of the favourites and then closed with a 64. So I think the upside is still there. 
7K range. 7K, um, I'm going to go with... Uh, I'm going to take both Fratelli and Merritt. Those are my two guys. Yeah, I, I, I like both of those, actually. I, I kind of might piggyback. I'm going to go with Wyndham Clark because I think he can win. I'll tell you someone we didn't talk about who's in this range that played well in Scotland again, which might just be he likes to play well in Scotland, but Ryan Palmer's 7,900. I think it's because he's not played the golf course. I just don't know what to think of him, but just a flat track bully could be could be interesting there. Um, yeah. Anything ownership like wise, he's no one's really playing him, and I, I kind of did look at him, and he's he's been up and down, but he's like, you know, if he he does hit it a long way, and if he does have his game, he's he is a more win equity than most players on this field. So yeah. Yeah, I think that's an interesting play actually. Hopefully, people get that far and pick up that little tidbit there. Uh, let's go for another guy in the low sevens because there's quite a lot of guys in here. So uh, let's just, I'm going to go with Doug Gim. I think I'm going to give him a chance at 7300. Yeah, so I gave you my two, so we both got two there. Yep, cool. And then the 6K range to round us up there. I do like your um, your play there on uh, on Badly, but uh, I guess I'll go uh, Sung You'll Know It or Brandon Hagee at 68. Yeah, you don't need to join me on Badly. Let's not both make, <laughs> let's not both make the same mistake. I know, I know you're being kind to your co-host, but uh, Aaron Badly at 6,300 is certainly going to be my play. Uh, Favourite of the week. He's going to be played in way too many markets than he should be this week. I'm looking at kind of top 30, top 40, first round leader, winner. Um, I'm more confident in Aaron Badley than Aaron Badley is in himself. So uh, <laughs> that, that'll be really interesting. But um, Matt, it's, it's a good week. I think we've kind of flirted with the idea recently of doing some more conversational pieces. I know we kind of started this podcast out with, um, you know, a discussion on Rory McIlroy. And I think that can be an hour. That can be two hours. We could be here. We're both interested in, in doing those discussions. So if anyone's listening now um, and, and does think that, you know, me and Matt just talking about those kind of things, just no betting, no DFS, just literally, um, you know, the, the landscape of golf at the moment. I know some people just because we like, the, you know, don't, we don't even like the live thing, but like because we're, you know, have that less of a stance in it than other people have, we've kind of come under some scrutiny. But generally speaking, I think, if you listen to us over a long period of time, we would have some fair takes on the game of golf. So I think, you know, we've got a lot to offer in that um, respect. So if anyone wants us to kind of talk about those sort of things, let us know. And if there's any subjects that people want to talk about, then great. Uh, and then I just need to nail down Matt because of our five hour time difference to, to get that sorted <laughs> out. Um, and I just actually have to have time on my hands. Like, I don't know about you, Matt, but like after a major week, I felt a little bit exhausted Um and just like we just we just crank out this content like i don't think people really and this is not to be a criticism of people that listen like it's great that people listen i want that um and that's why we do it but like the amount of hours that i pour into golf is actually like quite frightening like i got a, a a uni degree like result back today and i was like i actually spent more time talking about golf in that month than i did on that assignment and that's really quite concerning so um but yeah i, I we love it that's why we do it um, and I think it's a good time to maybe talk about some more conversational pieces. Yeah, I, all uh, all very good points there. I, I, that's something I would love to do, and I love talking about the, the grand scheme of things. Sometimes it feels like people just want to hear betting and DFS, so that's why it'd be good to get some feedback if you guys want to hear something like that, because I know we'd like to do it. And then with the content stuff, just pumping out content, for especially Major Week. I mean, I write five, six, seven articles, plus what I do on the WRX, little short piece I do every day, two or three shows, a YouTube show I went on... Uh, 
two radio stations last week. So it, it and you know, and you have, we're, we're balancing our life and other things and our, and then our, you know, pretty much our real jobs too. So, um, so all, any, any likes, any retweets, any comments, it really helps us out. And the engagement is, is kind of what our currency is. So engage if you can. One of, one of my favorite reviews that we had recently for the podcast, Matt, was that someone loved our stuff so much and they couldn't wait to hear from us again. Thanks, Andy. Now, if anyone can track down Andy uh, that hosted this podcast, then uh, please let me know because I don't know who he is, but I'd like to thank him. Um, I'm guessing that was a, a slip of the finger there, but it did balance out the the not a not a serious journalistic effort review that I got the week before uh, based oh, really? on the PTU line conversation. So, uh, you know, all those kind of I think I think the thing is like people like we you know this is not just to sort of big ourselves up and I'm going off on a bit of a tangent here to to wrap up, but like. We get a lot of really nice comments on Twitter, and especially last week we had some really nice stuff. Like when you put out your results on DraftKings, a lot of people, you know, tagged on and said how good like they find the show, and especially the betting show with with the free winners in a row on there. We've had some good comments, so please just put those into you know Apple reviews because that is our currency. I think Spotify ratings is a thing now that you know people do because that is the difference between us being in top 10 and top five in, in the podcast charts. And, you know, that's important. Like it might not seem important to listeners and it's not because it's still going to be there every week, but like it changes the perspective. It changes about having, you know, sponsors and, you know, just things like that. So if you can do it and are willing to do it and you do like what we do, then please uh, put those in. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and then as usual, we're, we're, we are still grateful that you guys listen and that, you know, that means a lot as well. Yeah, absolutely. Matt, thank you very much, buddy. And uh, we'll catch up again next week. 